Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, July 17th, we are studying Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Gideon has amassed an army from multiple tribes and the people of Israel, but the Lord says that there are too many soldiers. Why does the Lord whittle down Gideon's army to a measly 300 men? Today's text will explore that question and tell us of the victory that can only rightly be ascribed to the Lord. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, good to be back. As we get started this morning, Pastor Kilgo, let's talk a little context. We're in the Gideon cycle, right in the middle of it. We've seen his call, his fear, his doubts. Today's text is going to give us the main event, the part of the Gideon story that I think most people would know if they know anything about Gideon. This is the chunk of text that they know. What do we need to to understand from the context of the Gideon account and the whole book of Judges to help us into the text today? Yeah, so so going into Gideon, we just need to keep in mind that because this is going to show up again in our text uh, in a couple of different ways. But that Gideon is constantly struggling with this fear that he has um, uh, regarding his his own abilities, regarding the impossibility, of the task, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and we and we should probably say that he. He's ultimately struggling with uh, trusting in what the Lord has told him, right? And, and, and this is something that we all deal with. So the Lord tells us whatever it, whatever it is through the scriptures, and we have a hard time, uh, especially when we look around with our eyes and we see, well, that's not really what it looks like should happen. Um it, and so we we have a hard time uh, believing and and trusting in uh, the Lord's word because it's something that we simply just have to believe very often. It's not something that we're going to physically see. And this is what um, uh, Luther refers to this. And there's been a few people kind of hitting on this recently uh, that the eyes of faith or or spiritual sight. Uh, so you look around with your eyes, your physical eyes, and you kind of see what's going on. Uh, and then the Lord puts into your ears through his word, something different. And that actually causes you to see uh, in a spiritual manner, something different, a, a greater reality that's there. And so this is kind of what's, what Gideon's struggling with is the Lord is telling him, Hey, you're a mighty warrior. You're going to go and, and um, uh, deliver the, the people of Israel from the hands of the Midianites. I'm going to give this victory to you. And Gideon's sitting there and he's looking at himself and he's looking at the tribe that he comes from. And, you know, in our text, he's looking at the, the guys that he's got and the, the massive army of the, the Midianites. And he's like, um, it doesn't seem quite right. So, uh, so that's kind of what's going on with, with, um, with Gideon. And then with the book of judges in general, I think one of the ways to, 
look at the book of Judges that, that's kind of helpful because kind of the, the cycle that's going on over and over and over um, is to, to have the phrase, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away in our minds, but kind of the opposite of the way we normally hear it. So um, normally we would say the Lord gives uh, his gifts, his blessings, these sorts of things, um, and he can take those away from us, which is certainly true. This saying comes from Job, right, in the context of uh, the Lord taking away all the physical possessions and, and his health and everything that uh, that the Lord had given to him as a blessing. But um, we can also say, and this is even the language of, of uh, the book of Judges, is that the Lord here, he gives the people of Israel um, uh, into the hands of the various wicked peoples or wicked kings or whatever in this case into the the hands of the Midianites to be ruled over by them until such a point that Israel repents. And that's the purpose of it is to cause Israel to repent. And then finally, the Lord will take away that, um, that bondage that they have been placed into. Um, but this is like the whole book of Judges. It's just over and over and over. This keeps happening. I, I think that that's a, a nice turn of phrase, uh, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, to apply to the book of Judges in a, a different way than we normally use it, as you said, that the Lord here gives his people that which they're showing him they desire in their idolatry. They they fall into idolatry, and the Lord says, okay, I'll give you that for a time and show you what that looks like with the purpose of bringing them to repentance, as you said. And when he does, when they do, then he does take that away. He takes away those consequences of their idolatry and their sin, and he brings them back to himself. And I think that's just to turn that phrase around and use it like that, it, it sticks in my mind too. And everything you're saying about uh, Gideon is, is just spot on, that that he constantly struggles with this fear. He needs those eyes of faith. Yesterday, it, with the previous text in, in Judges chapter 6, I actually learned that in the Lutheran service book lectionary, the very end of Judges 6, where Gideon asked for the sign of the fleece twice, is the Old Testament reading that's appointed for the Feast of St. Thomas. And so we, we talked a little bit about that yesterday, that, that Gideon is, is almost the, the doubting Thomas of the Old Testament here, that he, yeah. he needs these eyes of faith. And I think that theme carries over into this text today, as we'll see. And it's maybe after this text that Gideon turns a bit of a corner. I, I don't know if I, can, if I can say it like that, but you do see him in some sense, start to hold on to the Lord's promises a bit more by the end of this text, even as his, and we'll see this in, in future texts in chapter eight, his, his narrative takes a, a bit of a, a bit of a, a bad turn towards the end. But, but we do see him here, I think, start to mature, uh, grow into that faith, those eyes of faith that the Lord is giving him, that even though what he sees says there's no way that he and this army can defeat the Midianites, he begins to trust the Lord's promise that, yes, he will win this victory because the victory actually belongs to the Lord. Any further introductory comments before we jump into the text? I think that'll probably do it. There's plenty for us to get at right. in this thing. So Judges 7, beginning at verse 1. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harad. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. 
Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Every one who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go every man to his, to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. We'll pause there, take a look at that scene. So Pastor Hilgo, just as an introduction, the first verse there reminds us of some of the characters, gives us a bit of geography. Uh, We've got this new name for Gideon, Jerubbaal. He received that in the previous text. They're there beside the spring of Harad, near the hill of Mora. What what kinds of geographical setting things do we need to know going in? Yeah, so um, so they are, uh, if I remember correctly, they're they're about um, thirty miles or so, uh, almost directly north of like uh, Succoth. Um, this is going to be um, where later on. Um, the army is there escaping. They go through there. They cross the River Jordan down in that area, go across into uh, Penuel, um, uh, all this sort of stuff. Um, but they're they're up by also Mount Tabor, right? So if anybody knows where Mount Tabor is, or if you're looking at it at a map, they're up it, toward that area. So they're they're up in the north area, um, or north-ish area, I guess we might say. Um, and you've got these these two um, uh, hills that are sitting there, and one of them is the the hill of um, Mora, right? And uh, interestingly, more so the names in here are, are are really interesting, I think. So so Mora um, uh, means teacher, so it's the hill of the teacher, which is interesting because it's it's here. At, we should remember that, especially in the Old Testament. The, the names of places and people are always significant, right? It's not incidental that Gideon and his army are at the uh, hill of the teacher, right? Because it's from this hill then that the Lord is going to teach Gideon and Israel and us by extension uh, as hearers of the text uh, uh, that... Um, that victory, and in fact, all things, but especially being victorious comes to us from the hand of the Lord himself, right? Uh, and then you've got the um, the spring of Harad, um, uh, and the, the Harad is, it's not the exact same word, but it, it um, uh, it's similar to the word for, for fear, and it it means worry, basically. So it's the the spring of worry, and you've got all these, you know, 
kind of ironically, you've got all these people that are there that are fearful um, that, that the Lord is going to dismiss. Um, and then I, I think it's significant that the whole thing starts by referring to um, Gideon as uh, Jerubbabel. Uh, and now he's given that name earlier, but r- right after he's given the name, the, the, the text keeps referring to him as Gideon. And I didn't look to see how often he actually gets referred to this way, but, um, but it's interesting that it introduces him. Then Drubabal, that is Gideon, uh, did this, and then he's referred to Gideon the rest of the time, uh, but what's the task, right? The task here is to go in and overthrow Midian um, in the same sort of way that Gideon overthrows the altar of Baal and uh, destroys the uh, the Ashroth, right? Uh, so there, there's a, a kind of parallel between uh, destroying the uh, the altar and the, the idols of the false god and destroying uh, destroying those who are the worshipers of that right that they're those those things are not disconnected from each other and it's very similar to like you know you get elijah and the prophets of baal right that he he destroys their uh basically their whole religion there at uh mount carmel and then goes and destroys all of them right Mm. now we should be clear like they do this with a direct command from God. Like it's not given to every person to go out and do this stuff. Right. So. Um, right. 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 Uh, well, and I mean, think the, the name dribbable here is a reminder, you know, he, he got that name after he tore the altar of all down and then his dad, you know, stepped up and said, look, if, why are you guys going to kill my son? If, if Baal wants to kill him, let Baal do that. And that's kind of where the name comes from. And right. so the use of the name here is, is almost a foreshadow of what the Lord's going to do. Let's, let's see if, if Baal will step up and win the victory this time. And of course, as we know, he won't because Baal's a false God. And so the Lord will win the victory. So there is a, a bit of a foreshadow in, in the use of the name here. And, and again, the irony of the the name of the spring that that the people are fearful and worried, and so the Lord is going to teach them here at this this hill of of Mora, and He's going to teach them in a, a rather unexpected way. And the bulk of the of this section of the text really deals with the matter of how big is this army going to be? Now we we heard about the army coming together. Back in chapter six, Gideon has called folks from several tribes together. He's got this army of 32,000 people. And the Lord says something that you you would not expect any general to say. The Lord says, we've got too many people here. So, Pastor Gullo, this really dominates this section of the text. What's what's going on here with the Lord whittling down the army? Yeah, I, I love this. Um uh, this is definitely one of my favorite sections um, because it's exactly the opposite of the way we would approach things. But this is the way the Lord normally operates, right? Um, we think that you know A is the best thing to do, and the Lord comes along and says, "No, no, no, it's actually this," right? And it's it's exactly the opposite of of what we what we think is going to be the best. So, like, and uh, the 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 chief example of this is our Lord Jesus Himself, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the Lord comes to defeat sin and death and grave and world, right? And uh, we think, oh, so he's going to bring this mighty warrior and 
you know, all this sort of stuff. And the Lord's like, no, I'm going to send my son to die. And we're like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and it, it, so this is uh, the pattern, though, and, and we see it here. So uh, so the the Lord looks at us is like, nah, uh, thirty two thousand people that that that's too many. And He gives this this command that if, if we're not familiar with the Old Testament, it sounds weird. Um, uh, anyone who's fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away uh, from Mount Gilead. And um, it, this comes from, if I remember correctly, Deuteronomy twenty, uh, where there is this provision given under Moses that if you are uh, part of the army, but you're afraid, um, you can leave um, and and not fight. And the idea behind that was that you don't want to kill the morale of your army because you've got a bunch of people that are afraid. Like there's no worse thing in going into battle than like half of your force, if in this case, two thirds of your force is, you know, afraid of being there. Right. And especially when you're the, the army that stands under the banner of the Lord himself. Right. Um, uh, that that's not going to bode well in in a lot of different ways because it's a it's just a lack of faith in what the Lord has promised because the Lord promises all these different battles that He's going to give them the victory right and it's like the victory is already yours just go and you know do what I tell you to do um, and uh, so you want you want the people that are there that are uh, not fearful but but trust in that promise um, uh, so you get twenty two thousand leave. But then <laughs> you, you get it again. The people are still too many. Uh, Ten thousand—that's still too many people, right? So, so get rid of some more. And there's this really interesting way that he that he does this. He sends them down to the river to drink, right? And there's all these pictures of this, right? You've got the guys that are, you know, lapping it up like a like a dog or bringing up the water to their mouths. They're basically they're down on their hands and knees, and others are like kneeling down. And I thought it was very strange. I was, I was reading a few things on this and uh, a number of people were saying, well, so you've got the people who are on their hands and knees, they would have been more alert uh, and ready to fight. And the people that are on their single knee, um, they're not going to be as ready to fight. And it's like, well, that's, that's actually kind of the opposite of the way it works, just physiologically. Um, and I think what's going on there is you've got people who are uh, commenting on this and not really thinking about the overall context of what's happening. Um, that the what the Lord says at the very beginning, um, lest Israel boast over me or above me, uh, saying my own hand has saved me. Lest Israel boast that they've saved themselves, right? That that's what the Lord wants to make sure doesn't happen, and so He's going to pick the weakest, right? And he's going to pick those who are least able to fight. So you know, if you're uh, if you're a soldier, right? One of the things that you that you learn is you learn situational awareness. Right. It's one of the terms that gets put out all the time, just to be aware of your surroundings and what's going on and never to put yourself in a compromising situation. Well, one of the most compromising situ- uh, positions you can put yourself in is to be down on your hands and knees with your face down in the water, right? Because mm-hmm. you've got no idea what's going on around you. Um, so it's those people that, that the Lord picks. And it's kind of like he's, he's picking the guys that don't know what they're doing, right? Uh, which is great. I, I think it's fantastic. And when you when you look at this, like you started with thirty three thousand, now you've got three hundred, and that's less than one percent. It's point nine percent of the I- initial group of people. Uh, 
And so the Lord has just completely whittled this down to almost nothing. And they're going up against an army, uh, we'll find out later, that's uh, 135,000. Right? I mean, it's just unreal how it, it's uh, 450 to 1. Right? So if you're going to win in regular battle, each Israelite is individually going to have to kill 455 or 450 Midianites themselves. It, each person is going to have to do that. Right? It's just um, it's unwinnable. Right? Right. I mean, it's it's it is it's com- the complete opposite of what human wisdom would expect. And I, I mean, that's the the main theological point we need to get out of this, as as you said, that the Lord is going to do things His way, not ours. Uh, there's that there's that saying that that sometimes gets thrown around that says the the Lord does things in mysterious ways, and, and I'm not sure how helpful it is all the time. It's not that it. The things that the Lord does are not mysterious in the sense that like we don't know them or something like that. We do know what the Lord does. Right. But I think maybe we can say the Lord's ways are mysterious in in this sense, that they're not the way we would do them. They're they're the opposite of the way that we would do them. So if I'm going to fight against an army of 135,000 people, I'm going to try to build an army that's got 150,000 people or more, somehow more than the 135,000. Or, right. I mean, and, and this is, as, as you were saying, where we where we need to take this is ultimately to the victory that our Lord Jesus Christ wins for us by his death on the cross. And, and here particularly, I, my mind goes to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul talks about the foolishness of God and the weakness of God as it is seen there in the cross. Well, it looks like foolishness. It looks like weakness to the eyes of man, but but this is how God actually shows His true wisdom and His true strength. And what what He's doing here with Gideon and this measly army of three hundred men is a precursor, a foreshadow, a type of what He's going to do in in the cross of Jesus Christ. Right. Um, no, I I, I got to bring this up, and I mentioned it to you, but. Um, I, I, I love it. Um, so we, we hear, at least me, I, I hear 300. Um, and you can't help but think of the Spartans, right? Um, the, the Battle of Thermopylae. And, you know, you, you can debate on whether they win or lose. You kind of have to define what winning and losing looks like there. But um, they're fighting against between 100 and 150,000 Persian soldiers, a very similar sort of thing. And the, the reason why this is a fantastic story for us is because you look at it and like it makes no sense that the spartans would would last more than like five seconds against uh and the, and the persians were a formidable army at that right so it's not a bunch of you know guys that don't know what they're doing uh now in, in the midst of that though one of the things that we should realize is that um uh, let, let's say just for the sake of the conversation that the that the Spartans win, um, uh, if if they win, or at least they're they're able to hold off the the, the Persians till more forces get there, um, that's only because the Lord allowed it to happen, right? It's only because it was the Lord's will that that happened. Now we don't know the specifics of why. This is part of what we would call the the, the hiddenness of God, um, uh, and uh, there are a lot of times in our lives and throughout history that we just don't know why the Lord allows things to happen, 
right? And this is where kind of the theodicy questions come in. But what we do know is that the Lord is in control of all things and he is working out all things ultimately for our good. And that good is at its core, the salvation of our souls and are being brought into the resurrection of all flesh on the last day. So uh, what's happening here with the people uh, under Gideon is no different, right? Um, now, the people there, we, we have the benefit of being able to look back at this, you know, a few thousand years later. But um, the, Lord, the, the Lord is working uh, for the good of the people of Israel, namely to to remind them and to teach them um, that he is their Lord, that he's stronger than any of the other forces that, that might attack them. Um, and, and not just these massive physical armies that are out there, but especially our, our main enemies. Like we, we forget this. Our, our main enemies are not, as St. As Paul says, it, it's not flesh and blood, right? But the spiritual forces of this present evil age. So our main enemy is chiefly the devil, right? And then also our own sin, uh, the, the fallenness of the world and death itself, right? And so what is the Lord going to wage war against? He's going to wage war against those things for our sake, and he's going to give us the victory. Um, but it's going to be his victory uh, in accordance with his will, and he's going to do it the way he wants to do it, right? Even though it it might not make any sense to us, even though, like you mentioned from uh, First Corinthians, that it might look to us as foolishness and weakness. Uh, that it's actually the opposite. It, it's wisdom and strength. We just mm. we just don't know what those things actually are, right? Mm. Right, right. Yeah, and and I mean the the difference, of course, between what is happening here in Judges seven. Uh, and and any other battle from history where uh, a very small army was you know either withstood a much larger army and, and won or delayed them or however that that worked you know I'm a, I'm a Texan and so I think of the Battle of the Alamo which mm-hmm. the Texans were were massacred there at at the end of it but but they held off the the army for quite some time right but the the difference it, in all of those cases that we have here in in Judges chapter seven is that here we do know exactly what the Lord was doing right. and and that he's delivering his people right here, uh, where in those places, the Lord's directing history in a way that we can't see his, his will exactly, other than to know his big picture will that he's desiring to save all men. Here we know exactly what he's up to, and, and here he's showing his people, he's teaching his people that their salvation comes from him alone. It's completely by grace. And I think we might pick that theme up a little bit more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, July 17th, and we are studying Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 23 with Pastor Sean Kilgo, who serves at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we were, were talking about Gideon and the whittling down of his army that the Lord does here in these first eight verses of chapter 7. And uh, we've talked about how this is the Lord reminding his people that he is the Savior, they are not. We have a picture here of of salvation by grace that is a huge theme throughout the scriptures. Right. Yeah. And so uh, what I think we, we ought to see here is that you, you have this, and, and it is by grace that the Midianites are defeated here, right? And it's by grace that all these different uh, armies are defeated throughout the Old Testament, etc. cetera. Um, but it is also by grace that our uh, salvation occurs, that our victory is given to us, right? And so this is the, the sort of language that the scriptures will use, especially when we get in the New Testament and in Paul and whatnot, um, of how the Lord saves us, like I mentioned, from our, our chief enemies, who, who we're actually at, at war with. Right. And that is uh, the devil and sin and death and the fallen world. Right. And the temptation is to think that we can actually fight against that. I'm, I, I've encountered this a lot, uh, especially dealing with like the devil and demons. Right. That there is this idea that runs around in Christianity a lot that, that I've that, at least that I've encountered that uh, that we are up to the task of um of actually like warring against the devil and the demons and being able to stand toe to toe with them and winning the victory. Right. Um, and this is the idea of, you know, the Christian as the, as the soldier and whatnot, which is true, but it's not, it's not true in the way it, it gets used there. Um, so uh, if I don't come back to that, let, remind me and I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> but um, so what what's going on here is that the, the Lord is saying, okay, look, here are your enemies. They need to be defeated and they're stronger than you, right? This is like the, the parable, the strong man, right? Um, that you need a stronger man to come in and that stronger man is Jesus, right? So he comes in to, uh, to bind the strong man and release the prisoners to loot his house, right? Uh, and we are that which are plundered out of the, the house of the devil, which is, I, I love that, that text. Um, but, um, we ourselves as just humanity, like we, we can't stand toe to toe with the devil, right? We need the Lord himself to do that, right? Now, because we've then been given the victory, we, we can kind of um, afterwards stand up against him. This is where like um, the scriptures will say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's not fleeing from you because, you know, you're so awesome in and of yourself. He's fleeing from you because you bear the mark of God on you, right? Because you belong to the one who has defeated him, right? And he knows that if uh, uh, if you come after, if he comes after you, right, that, that the one who's already fought for you will continue fighting for you, right? And he's going to lose. So th that's that's the, the, the manner in which we actually uh, fight there. Um, and it's, the, the, the image then is, um, uh, kind of what Luther gives to us in A Mighty Fortress, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's sometimes referred to as the battle hymn of the Reformation, 
Um, I don't know how much I necessarily like that 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 naming of it, but it is a a hymn of battle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we lose that because we don't use some of the language that that's in there. But um, uh, uh, you know, even the, the language of like holding the field, right? That that's mm-hmm. military language. Um, uh, uh, he's he's. By our side upon the plane, that that's military language. Um, uh, he's a trusty shield and weapon. That's military language. And and the idea then that we should have in our heads is that there's this great war that's going on for the salvation of men's souls, and we are in the very middle of that. Uh, the devil and the demons fighting against our Lord Jesus and His angels, right? And uh, we are clothed with this armor. Uh, that we should remember is almost entirely defensive in nature. The the only offensive weapon we're given is a is words, right? Although they are powerful words, and Luther brings that up in the in there. But that when the dust finally settles and the battle's won, that there are the Lord's Christians still standing, right? And that that's the image of like Ephesians six: the the stand firm, stand. Uh, stand firm. Um, even the, the the shoes that 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 imagery it carries with it, they're the same sort of thing. And so, this is the idea of the, the Christian soldier. Not that we're like actively out, you know, going and slaying demons and stuff like that, but that the Lord is clothing us with His armor, uh, namely that He's given us our baptism, and we're clothed with him and his blood in that baptism to protect us against the assaults of the devil. Um, and that happens because he's gone and defeated them for us, and he's the victor, right? Um, there's uh, this great passage in in Luke 11 where Jesus is accused of casting out demons uh, by the power of Beelzebul. Um, and and Jesus responds to this saying, you know, look, that that is a ridiculous thing to say. A uh, house divided against itself cannot stand. But then he says this, um, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Right, And this is alluding to the, the, the parable of the strong man. Right, um, And that word overcome is the word in Greek uh, for, uh, for victory. Um, uh, it's, and it, then this shows up then. So, so Jesus has the victory, right? And then what's just so great, um, is that this gets flipped over and just applied to us, mm-hmm. right? In, in the, in the new Testament. So you get, um, like in, uh, Romans eight, um, where you get, this whole passage where where Paul's like, you know, who can separate us from the the love of Christ? Shall angels or rulers or or demons or powers or height, depth, nakedness, famine, sword, whatever, right? And then he just says anything else in all creation, right? So anything that's been created by God, which is everything except God himself, um, none of that can actually separate you from God, right? You can walk away from him, but none of those things can actually pry you out of his hands. Right, um, and then he says this: um, "We are more than conquerors." Uh, again, same word. Uh, we are more than victors through Him who loved us, and we remember that Jesus loves us by giving His life. And then I just it, it keeps like f- 
blooming out of this, right? So you get like First Corinthians 15, the great passage on the resurrection, um, uh, that death is swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we have victory over over death and grave, right? First um, uh, John does this a number of times and it culminates at the end where he says, uh, everyone who's been born of God overcomes or has victory over the world. Um, and this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith, so our trusting in, in Jesus. So so there's the victory over, over the world, right? And then you get like Roman uh, Revelation two and three with the seven churches, and every single letter ends in this way: um, uh, "To the one who conquers, I will." And then fill in the blank. So you get like, "We'll, we'll eat of the tree of life. We'll not be hurt by the second death. Um, uh, we'll give him a, uh, authority over the nations." All the all these promises there. Um, and remember that we are declared conquerors, declared victors by our lord's word because of the death of jesus right so so all of that that was a lot uh but all of that is is to you know pour into this text with with gideon right that this is the lord's point he's like i am the one giving you the victory um regardless of what that victory is and remember what the main victory is so that even even if you should you know even if israel goes out and they lose this battle and they're slaughtered by the midianites it ultimately doesn't matter in the scheme of eternity uh, because the Lord has still given them the greater victory, right? Um, through Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I mean, it, it all, it all comes back to that victory. And I think just the, the overall point, this, when, when the scriptures talk to us about overcoming or, or being a victor that we do, we have to connect it. This is not the victory that I have won in and of myself, it is the victory that Jesus has won, and I participate in that victory through faith, right? That's the First John 5 passage. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That, that's what overcomes the world. It's not what I've done, but it's what Jesus has done, and I participate in that victory through faith. I, as, as you were talking, I and mean, we're going to see this later in Judges 7 as the victory is actually one which we do need to get to, but in, in Judges 5, in the song of Deborah and Barak. Part of that song calls upon Deborah and Barak to awake and arise, but they're not called upon to awake and arise with their sword. They're called upon to awake and arise to sing and to take away the captives. Well, how is that possible? It's because the victory belongs to the Lord and they simply participate in it through faith in believing what the Lord has said, which to get us back to Gideon, is what Gideon has struggled with all along, is simply believing what the Lord has said. And so prior to going into this battle that the Lord is going to win for Gideon with these 300 men, he's going to strengthen his faith. So back in Judges chapter 7, verse 9, that same night, the Lord said to him, to Gideon, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. 
And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Now we'll pause there. The rest of the text actually gives the account of the battle itself. Uh, Pastor Kilgo, just, uh, we've got about 14 minutes here on the morning. So want to make sure we get all the text, but this dream scene seems like the Lord here is simply strengthening Gideon's faith before he sends him into this battle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's what the Lord keeps doing with Gideon. Right. Um, and, uh, finally it, it seems like maybe this is the turning point too, because it doesn't seem like this really happens anymore with Gideon. He, he finally gets it. It does help that, you know, they go in and, you know, he can actually see with his eyes, you know, the, uh, physically that, oh yeah, that the Lord did, you know, defeat the Midianites, uh, for us. Right. And, and we're going to see like, it is entirely the Lord defeated them for them because they don't do anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but he he goes down, and um, I think this is this is helpful for us because um, we struggle with like like I mentioned towards the beginning, we struggle with the same things of of uh, trusting what the Lord has promised to us, and the Lord knows our weakness in that, and so He, like with Gideon. Um, you know, like with uh, Thomas and, and like with, with a number of people, right? Um, he does this with Moses. Uh, there, there's all these times where, where people are, you know, asking for, you know, a, a sign or, or whatever. And the Lord doesn't always indulge them on that. But um, what, what's interesting is that the Lord has provided in the New Testament church this, this perpetual, visible and tangible reminder of his mercy to us. And that is the sacraments, right? Mm-hmm. So that um, the Lord says, your sins are forgiven on account of Christ. Your victory is won over uh, sin and death and devil and grave. And we're like, okay, be nice if there was something I could like hold on to, like physically mm-hmm. with that. And so the Lord's like, okay, well, you shouldn't need this, but here's water and my promise attached to the water to clothe you. And here's my body and blood from the altar. Uh, the, the, by the way, the same body and blood that has secured your victory. And take it and eat it. Take it and drink it. Right. So we, we get these these tangible things um, that we can not only touch and see, but uh, taste and smell. Um, uh, it, so so he's involving all of our senses in this, and and it is. Um, not only the means by which he's giving us this victory, but also the, the, the means by which he's reminding us tangibly of that victory, right? Uh, and this even um, shows up in a, in a sense in the post-communion or in, in, the, in the collect in, uh, for, uh, I think, Divine Service Setting 4, right? Um, as often as we eat this bread and drink this pr- cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, his, his victory un- until he comes, right? Um, so that, I, I think we should, we should remember that, that the Gideons, 
not unique in this and we're not like better than than Gideon. We shouldn't read Gideon like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Lord treats us the same way. He, mm-hmm. he gives us out of mercy and out of our weakness uh, tangible signs. But now what's great is those tangible signs also deliver to us uh, the very thing that he's reminding us of in his promises. Right. Yeah. It's not, and it's not a dream anymore. We it's not a be, dream. Be, yeah, yeah. We should be clear about that, that, that we're not looking for this assurance in any sort of dream or interpretation, but rather in those very sure and certain places where the Lord has promised to give us these things and, and attached it very graciously, as you said, to an external thing, to, to water, to bread and wine through these very physical elements of which we can be sure that, that, yeah, my, I, I was wet. <laughs> I, I was washed. And, and I, yes, I ate this and I drank this so that we have this assurance of faith. What, what grace the Lord shows to us in, in giving us these things. But again, making us sure, not on any kind of dream or its interpretation, but in his certain word and in those places where he attaches that word to these physical elements uh, in order to give us, to deliver to us the forgiveness of sins, this very victory that, that he's won for us finally on the, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, let's see here in Judges 7 how the Lord delivers this victory to Gideon and this army of 300 men. We're picking up again in Judges 7, now in verse 16. And he, Gideon, divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the out outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands, the torches and in their right hands, the trumpets to blow. And they cried out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerarah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. All right, that's the rest of our text for today. The Judges 7, that was verses 16 through 23, the actual battle and the aftermath. I, I call it a battle, Pastor Kelgo, but there really wasn't a, a <laughs> battle per se at the moment. Again, uh, and we've got about seven minutes here to, to talk through this, so pick the points that we need to hit the, the most. Sure. I, I'll just say briefly, here again we see the Lord's battle plan is not what we would draw up as, as a battle plan, and he, he once again makes it plain that he is the one winning this victory and he's giving it to his people by grace. Right. Yeah. So, so this is the picture, right? They, you've got all these guys up there. They've got a horn in one hand and a pot with a torch inside. And the idea is the torch is burning inside the pot so that when you throw the thing down, like you've got this like kind of flash of light. And what they do is they basically go up on the ridge and because uh, the, the army's down in the valley 
and they surround it so it makes it look like there's this massive army coming down on top of them and they blow the horns and they smash the pots and it makes this big flash and so kind of everybody's thrown into this great confusion it helps also um that um this is the middle watch this is in the middle of the night so you've got half the army sleeping you've got half the army is going to bed and half the army is just woken up right so this is like the the time in which you could be the most confused and um and disoriented and so they they blow the trumpets uh and they just then stand there and they watch the ensuing battle occur without them. <laughs> and so uh, the battle is actually the Midianites against themselves. And, and I love this because uh, one, not only does it completely take any boasting out of the hands of the Israelites, but it's also exactly what happens with the devil, right? So what does the devil do in order to try and uh, destroy the Lord and to destroy us, he sends the Lord Jesus to the cross. Except that's exactly what is his own undoing, right? And there's this this great picture. So it's a reference to Genesis three fifteen, um, and the, the the serpent biting, bruising the heel, right? And there's this great image uh, from a a guy you can find him online called Full of Eyes. Um, he's an artist, and it's the bottom half of the cross. And there's Jesus's foot there, and there's this wicked-looking snake latched onto the back of his heel. But Jesus is nailed to the cross, and so the nail's going through Jesus's foot, through the head of the snake, and then out the other side of the, the cross, right? And so the 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 very act of um, biting at the heel of Jesus, of sending him to the cross, is the very act that brings down uh, the devil's downfall. He destroys himself. Right. Um, that's why there's a bit of irony too in that Luke 11 passage that you know um, a, a house divided against itself cannot fall. Well, it's, it's a prophecy by Jesus of the devil's own destruction, right? Because he he's divided against his own household um, in fighting against the Lord in this way. So same thing happens with the Midianites. They they go and they they're just thrown into confusion by the Lord and they destroy themselves, right? Um, he, he hands them over into their own wickedness, basically. Hmm. And uh, so, so this all happens. Um, and it's not until after the vast majority of the army is destroyed, only 15,000 of the 135,000 survive this, and they're all running. It's not until then that later um, in the next section that uh, Gideon and it calls the armies out and they all go and they pursue them and kill them all right mm-hmm. um until the victory is actually won right but i i do want to make this note on on the um on the trumpets there is also this kind of uh foreshadowing of the the coming of our lord in victory on the last day right so we remember uh i believe it's first thessalonians i always mix up some of the the accounts but that that the lord comes with the shout of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet right um that um this is what calls uh this is the the event that occurs for the lord's return in final victory on the last day um and so i think we should hear when you've got these trumpet scenes in the Old Testament, that there is a foreshadowing 
of the of of the return of Christ on the last day as well in that because we we ought always and we've talked about this before we ought always be uh, keeping our eyes peeled for Jesus in the Old Testament right because Jesus tells us to that all these things prophesy of me um, and so we we can see that even in the, the the blowing of the trumpets right that there's Jesus coming back and there in fact is Jesus fighting for the Israelites against uh, the camp of Midian, right? Mm. It, it's just not the final victory as of yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the picture of the final day in those those trumpets, definitely something that, that we see our Lord Jesus Christ very active here, winning this salvation for his people in the Old Testament, foreshadowing what he's going to do for us in his final victory in the new. Pastor Sean Kilgo serves at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership, helping us this morning with Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. It's my pleasure. The Lord wins the victory and his people participate by faith. The Lord does it in a way that no human being would expect. A small, small army, torches, jars, trumpets, shouts. The victory belongs to the Lord and he gives it to his people a foreshadow of what he does ultimately for us in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has won the victory for us by his cross. Their evil has been undone, and that victory has been given to you and to me by faith. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.